You're watching Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to, yet again, another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast that gives an ironclad guarantee that if you listen, you get to hear stuff. In this week's episode, which is episode 464, for those of you who have learned how to count, it's listening time. So let's do that. We're all going to listen. We're still in pandemic show mode. So dumb people who aren't wearing masks, wear masks. Dumb people who aren't standing six feet away, stand six feet away. Social distancing works. And if you're a good person and you stand six feet away and you wear a mask, you get a shot. And maybe this pandemic will end sometime soon. Until that point, I'm stuck in a little plastic cage here in Area 51. And next to me in another little plastic cage is Captain Cam, who is sitting here with. We got a box last week from um, the 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 company that Jeff Bezos owns with 42 boxes of Captain Crunch addressed to Captain Cam. Now, I thought it was a clerical error. Uh, clearly, it was not. Cam, would you care to explain what the hell that was all about? Well, actually, I still kind of think it was a clerical order. I did order the Crunch Berries version, not just the, the straight. I mean, not, there's nothing wrong for those of you out there that. It was put on to, my to, credit to, card, first of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares oh. about that? Who cares who has to pay for it? The important part, as those of you out there will agree with me, is, you know, if you're going to 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 fill your swimming pool with any cereal, it has to be Crunch Berries. And then you pour the milk in, you dive in, and you just swim through happily. Just, you know, the breasts. It's an above-ground pool. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. And by the way, it's December. But that's a yeah. story for another day. Exactly. Clearly. And and frankly, it's embarrassing that I have to bring this up in front of our guest. But I did. And there's that. Okay. And I'm and I'm not going to say anything about the 21 cartons of carnation evaporated milk. Just add water because that's all other story. In any case, 30 talk casts ago, talk cast 434 to be exact. We got the chance to talk with this guy uh, who we really kind of kind of enjoyed by the name of Jeffrey Carver. Uh, usually they don't return. And <laughs> this guy is just 
decided to return. And we're kind of glad that he did. To talk some more about his Chaos, Chaos Chronicles series. Jeff, thanks for coming back, man. Uh, hi, it's good to be here, except you've got me laughing too much about the Captain Crunch. I don't know if I can speak <laughs> coherently. You're welcome. Uh, I'll try, though. You have no idea <laughs> shit that I have to put up with with this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> insane. <clears throat> to say nothing of... Uh, I, I feel have, like we've had the bloopers uh, reel at the beginning here. To say nothing of the, the three boxes of Mary Tyler Moore memorabilia that I have sitting next to me that I, I have tried to get rid of. And each time I move them into another room, they find their way back in here. It's ridiculous. But anyway, um, the reason we wanted to talk about the Chaos Chronicles is, is because they've come out very recently within the past month as audiobooks. Yes. Now, why did you decide to do that? Aside from, A, well, it's a good revenue stream, having taken the written word, turned it into an audio book, and it's another way to sell the book to a group of people who don't like to read but like to listen. But what was your decision behind that? Well, uh, everything you just said was true, although the revenue stream, I'll have to say more about that in a minute. Um, originally, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I love audiobooks. I became a convert to audiobooks about, oh, I don't know, uh, six or seven years ago, I guess, when I discovered you can download them from the library and that I could listen to books while I'm out walking my dogs every day because I never have enough time to just sit and read books. And There's never enough time for read to read. No. So I actually do most of my reading now by listening to audiobooks. So it's a form that I personally love. And in the process of listening to a lot of books, I, I discovered that it really makes a huge difference. Um, the narrator makes a huge difference to the book. Oh, my God, yes. A, oh, a, my a, God, yes. yes. You can yes. take some of the best books ever written, and five minutes into it, you're, you're, you're sitting there going, I want to kill this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's happened uh, on more than one occasion. So um, a, a lot of my books have been in audio for some time because my agent sold the rights to Audible back, oh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I guess. Uh, and some of those recordings I'm happy with and some of them I'm not. Um, but but my Chaos Chronicles were not part of that deal. So um, <clears throat> I had heard some narrators who I really liked. And a great, I mean, a really good narrator can make any book um, seem good and can make a good book just, just sparkle and, and uh, explode with life. And there's a narrator named Stefan Rudnicki who does a lot of science fiction. He has a very deep voice. He's been described as God-gargling boulders. <laughs> I think it's, it's fairly accurate. It is uh, kind of accurate, yeah. So I had, I had reached out to him a few years ago to see if he might be interested. And I didn't really know whether he would uh, – I didn't know how the system worked. I just sent him an email and said, look, I've got these books that I'm interested in putting into audio uh, do you have any interest in being involved? 
And he looked at him and he said, you know, I've never actually read any of your stuff, but I think these chaos books look interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and he got Blackstone Audio interested in doing the first book, Neptune Crossing. And they, they, they funded that and it went out. So that was sort of just standard publisher deal where you get a little advance and maybe eventually you get a little more. Uh, they were not interested in pursuing it further, though, because well, if you put one book of a series up, how many people are really that interested in reading the first book and not having the others available? I pointed that out, but but they it so it, it hadn't sold that well. <clears throat> and after a couple of years, I had many conversations with Stefan and um, I decided that I I wanted him to do the books badly enough to pay for them myself. So I actually hired him out of my pocket to narrate the books, uh, but I own the full rights to them so that um, the revenue stream you mentioned comes to me and not just a small part of it. So um, it was an, it was sort of an, I'm, I have a terrible track record in investment in stocks, but I think maybe this was a good investment. <laughs> Um, You're investing in yourself. I'm There's investing a difference. In, in, yes, in There's the book. a huge difference there. <clears throat> because I thought, you know, even if it takes 10 years, even if I don't live long enough to see to see that money recouped, um, my books will be there forever in a really terrific audiobook form. He did a great job narrating these books. And we worked together a lot on, um, well, starting with the pronunciation of weird alien names and not all narrators think to ask you about that uh, but there were places where we had differences of opinion about interpretation of a passage and the best way to do it and we would talk it out and uh, come to an agreement because he's a terrific performer and uh, he wanted to respect my wishes for the book and I wanted to respect his wishes as a performing artist so um, sometimes we said he, he, he would say Okay, I'll redo it your way and, and see if you're happy with that. And some places I said, you know what? Let's go with your version because you feel strongly about it and 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 I want to support that. So it was, it was a really good uh, collaborative uh, relationship, I thought. And um, <clears throat> I think when we last spoke, I was um, thinking of doing a Kickstarter campaign to raise money to do these last two books, The Reefs of Time and Crucible of Time, which are long books and yeah. pretty, pretty costly to record. Uh, it's not inexpensive to hire a top-notch narrator. Um, and I'd been pondering the Kickstarter question, and then I I, uh, I think it was at the, maybe the Nebula Awards online, virtual Nebula Awards, there was a panel on doing Kickstarter, and I heard about all the things you really need to do to make a Kickstarter successful. Kickstarters um, are a bitch to run. And I no question my, about I, it. I turned to my wife afterward and I said, I'm not doing a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for everybody. I've had, but, but I've had funding a number became available of Kickstarter to me. failures. And, yeah. <clears throat> some, some money became available and I said, okay, I'm going to uh, invest that in the audiobooks. So I did. And that meant that um, Strange Attractors, The Infinite Sea, Sunborn, The Reefs of Time, and Crucible of Time. Uh, he, he recorded all of those books over the last year, and um, they have, just in the last couple of months, 
really started to sell. Um, audiobook sales for me before were just dribs and drabs, but now I'm seeing a steady um, steady flow of, of, of sales, and I have hopes that I think we've probably pulled in enough to pay for the first book um, in the last few months. So it may only take a couple of years until I've paid off the cost, and this revenue stream that you referred to will actually be a revenue stream. Be a stream, a, is it, as stream. opposed to a dam that you're waiting for something to happen and roll over the top of. Yeah, no, you know, I, for the longest time, um, I didn't deal with audiobooks at all. And then I, I had a job where I had a 40-minute a commute. Mm -hmm every morning and every night. And my choices were radio. And having worked in radio, I would have rather killed myself. <laughs> or, or because this show actually started out on terrestrial radio. And having worked in radio on and off for 20 years, I, I can't listen to radio. I do, it, it would kill it kills me hmm. or uh, I, I had satellite radio and for a while there was that or audiobooks and the time in the car back and forth was enough so that in a week or a week and a half I could do an entire book mm -hmm. between my morning and evening commute and it just got to the point where that was the best part of my freaking day yeah with, with those commutes where I was just enjoying books all throughout the commute. And I would love traffic jams. <laughs> <laughs> Don't because hear it's that just very often. More time that I, I was with my book and I got to, to read. Uh, and, and I actually began to think of it not as listening, but as reading. And when you get a really good narrator doing a really good book, it's wonderful, it's, isn't it? It's it's audio theater. It really is. So when when we got the we got the the note from your publisher saying this stuff was coming out, I said to myself, please, dear God, if you have any sense of of love in your heart make this a really good narrator and we started listening to it and and cam and i turned to each other and we went yep yep yeah yeah so because there are a lot of times and i don't know if you're aware of this because you went about this the right way there are a lot of times when somebody goes to one of the larger chains or, or 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 companies that does this and either they get no say about who the narrator is or they're given a choice of three or four and that's about it if you're talking about the chain that i think you're talking about um yeah when my other books were the rights were sold i had no say in the narrators and it was just uh, i was lucky on some and lucky on others um, so I did want to, so when you do it yourself, uh, I mean, the two big 
places to go to are ACX and Find Away Voices. Um, ACX funnels directly into Audible and iTunes and Apple, and they're the the big guys on the block. Right. Um, and Find Away distributes to a whole lot of other places. So you kind of have to decide how you want to do it strategically, because if you go exclusively with ACX, you get a bigger um, royalty. If you go non-exclusive, you can get wider distribution, but you pay the cost in a smaller royalty. I decided to do that because I wanted wider distribution. I wanted more people to have a chance to hear the books, even if it took uh, longer to, uh, to pay the cost back. And I'm, I, so far, I'm still glad I made that choice, I think. Um, it's a brilliant decision, even though in the short run, it doesn't look like it makes sense in the long run. It's it's kind of like when you bring your book to the editor and the publisher and the editor and, and the publisher goes, yeah, we got it. We'll take it from here. And they throw a cover on the book that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's that same kind of deal where here's the first thing that the guy sees in the bookstore looking at it. And it's got nothing to do with the story and it's got nothing to do with you. And there you go. And there's enough horror stories around about how that happens. And it's the same with audiobooks in a very different way. Yeah. And um, so the way a lot of people do it is they go to ACX and they um, audition narrators. And there are narrators who charge a lot less. And probably some of them are are quite good. They probably tend to be younger uh, people with not quite so much track record. But I knew who I wanted, and I thought, you know, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. I'd rather have the best. And I thought, my books are worth the best, damn it. Whether they're worth the best or whether they are the best or not, you knew who you wanted. Yeah. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. And he, by the way, is going to start narrating the last book. I do not have an audio book is Eternity's End, which... Um, was my, my one book that was uh, nominated for a Nebula. Uh, he's going to narrate that in January. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. That's outstanding. So, um, so that's... Uh, um, this activity of doing the audiobooks has consumed quite a bit of time and energy over the last year, but um, it feels like effort well spent. And well, uh, pandemic and all, you've had the time. You haven't been able to go anywhere, do anything. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. I mean, it's not like, you know, you, you've been able to go to conventions and you've been able to go to book readings and book signings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really put a damper on virtually everything. I, I mean, um, that sort of brings us around, I think, to the question of print books, because, you know, conventions were always where you could could uh, sign copies of your print books right. and, and connect with readers that way. Um, so my books are all out of print with the original publishers, so I've begun to bring them back one by one uh, by, um, you know, using uh, Ingram Spark and Kindle desktop publishing to, to do my own editions. And, now, uh, explain, <clears throat> explain to the listener, because I don't think people really understand that when you 
publish a book, you kind of give up a sense to a very large degree ownership of that written word. That's that's um, pretty true. Um, and I think it's gotten worse in in recent years. So a typical publishing contract, you sell your book to the publisher and I uh, agree on terms and they control the rights to that um, until the book goes out of print in all editions. Now with eBooks, eBooks never go out of print and print on demand books never go out of print. So there's been a lot of, of controversy in the publishing world about um, how writers can reasonably have contracts that will let them get their rights back if they're not really being used. Um, so I feel uh, fortunate to already have all the rights back to my books so that I can do my own editions. Um, <clears throat> only the the biggest names, I think, um, you know, Hugh Howey, who made a big name for himself as a self-published writer, was able to get a contract with a fixed time limit on the contract. But that's very rare. Um, so, so, so over doing the, my own print editions involved again a fair amount of, of labor on my part to to do do the typesetting. Over the course of this year, one of the things you've been able to do has been able to re-retain the ownership of your own work. Uh, yes, yes, which yes. is freaking amazing. Yeah, the only two books I've written that I don't have the rights to were tie-in books. I did a Battlestar Galactica novel, a novelization of the, the Sci-Fi Channel's miniseries. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I will never have those rights because those belong to the studio. Um, and I did a book called Roger Selesny's Alien Speedway that was a shared universe kind of thing. And um, I've not been able to persuade the current publisher who sells like five ebooks a year to release it back to me, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But um, but everything else is under my control. So and uh, and, and it's a mixed bag because it means you have to do a lot. And when when the new books came out, I learned how hard it is to really market a new book, even if you have a track record. So what are your plans now? Uh, are we going to see all new versions or? Are we well, seeing all new versions of the of the older books? You mean? Yeah. Um, not. I mean, I'm not revising them. Um, they they exist in ebook, so I'm using that as the uh, sort of the, the template to uh, nicely typeset them and use the same artwork. Um, I'm working with a person who who does really nice cover design for me. Um, so uh, my book. Panglor, which is the first novel of the Star Rigger universe series. Uh, it just came out in a print edition. It's available on Amazon now, and it's, it's uh, I don't think the Ingram edition is quite filtered out to bookstores yet, but it's basically can be ordered uh, by anybody who sells books. Um, and this, so it's a print on demand. Print on demand has changed everything in this regard. Mm -hmm. So there, there's no real upfront monetary cost in producing new books, new editions of your books. Um, there's the labor cost. Um, <clears throat> so these books become available. I did a, a new 
I think, really quite gorgeous edition of Eternity's End uh, last spring or early summer. I put that out, and I think it looks terrific. Um, now, marketing it is another deal because, again, we aren't having conventions where you can meet people and, and say, hey, would you like to buy an autographed copy of my book? So I just, like a week, two weeks ago maybe, um, I was looking for a way to do this virtually. It's hard online now to, to sell your own books. I set up an Etsy shop and put some of my, um, some of my books there, autographed editions. Um, we have a, that link and we're putting that sucker up. Oh, thank you. It, has, <laughs> it, has, it hasn't attracted much traffic yet, I have to say. Well, yeah, well, people have to know about it. Yeah. And one of the ways they get to know about it is by coming on shows like this where we can, like, you know, put it put it on our Twitter feed and put it on our website and tell people if they'd really like to get an autographed set, of the Chaos Chronicles, as as one of my co-hosts said to me, would make a great Christmas present for the guy who ordered all that Captain Crunch on my credit card. <laughs> I um, may have mentioned that in <laughs> passing maybe six or seven times. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this afternoon when the goddamn box showed up, um, and I looked at it and went, "Yeah, that that looks really, really cool." Uh, and you, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, things like the Etsy shops and stuff like that uh, are during uh, these wonderful pandemonium pandemic times are one of the few ways. Uh, where people like yourselves can still find ways to market yourselves, uh, that and Facebook marketplace, stuff like that, which I've grown to hate because of all the, 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 the kipple that occurs there as well. Uh, I have to admit, I keep my distance from Facebook. I mean, yeah. I have a presence there, but it's not a big presence. Yeah, we we do what we can and we <laughs> we do what we have to do. But I mean, it sounds crazy for selling books. But one of the things that makes it hard for writers to do this is sales tax. If you yep. sell a book to somebody in another state, you're supposed to collect sales tax and send it to that state. And it's just nuts. So that's why people use one reason people use services like Etsy is is that they can handle that for you and, right. and just focus on communicating. And, with. And, and the other thing is that with a vaccine, hopefully close to being ready, that it's, it's a shorter walk to the edge of the world than we've seen in, in quite a while. And hopefully sometime around, I don't know, May the 1st, We'll be able to see you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? It would be wonderful to be able to see you. Yeah. A little place called the the Upper Valley Comic Expo. I believe I'm on your list for that. It, it would seem as if you were, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I really look forward to it, and I hope that we are able to travel freely by then. If not, <laughs> it will get moved, and you will move along with it. Right. You are stuck with us on that one. Okay. I accept I accept the fate. <laughs> so and, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just I wanted to to say I know that, that you're probably going to wrap fairly soon. 
that I really just want to tell you how much I appreciate your enthusiasm here and the fact that you guys have read the books and, and are enthusiastic about the books just means the world to me because that is not always the case when you're out doing interviews and uh, you know, well, trying to plug your you know, stuff. If, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't a good book, then it wouldn't be worth our time to sit here and talk about it. And if you weren't fun to talk to and it wasn't a good book, this would total, totally be a waste of time for our, our listeners and, and, and me as well, quite frankly. And, you know, of, I can tell you story after story about why we're no longer on terrestrial radio because of ominous wastes of time that we had, were forced to do because we were on terrestrial radio and run by a big corporation at the time. And that's why we're no longer there, because we pissed off way too many people. Uh, <laughs> so we don't do that anymore. Uh, so you've been stuck uh, in your little retreat, working on your writing yeah. and working on your audiobook. What does your future look like at this point as... as uh, you know, things move towards 2021. Excuse me. I hope the world settles down and becomes a nicer place to live in. I hope we have a rational political establishment by next year. I hope that COVID is beaten down and that we can start to see our friends again and um, connect with other people in some manner other than Skype and Zoom. I'm working on the final book of the series. It's been a, a kind of a tough year for writing, so I haven't made as much progress as I'd hoped, but um, um, one day there will be a final book in the Chaos Chronicles. And uh, and I might turn my hand to, uh, there's another book I have in mind for the Star Reader universe that could follow that. I don't know. Hard to see the future. You know, I'm paid to think of futures. That doesn't mean I can see the future, sadly. Well, maybe not sadly. I don't but know. before we go, a quick sample from the audiobook. The Reefs of Time. The Kota Bandicoot peered to the left and to the right, forward and backward, through the windows of the passenger transport as it crawled across the icy surface of Triton. She had come four and a half billion kilometers to see this, and she did not want to miss a thing. After almost an hour, the transport ground to a halt. Scott, the tour guide, announced their arrival on site from the front of the van and the half-dozen passengers, all clad in silver spacesuits, began crowding toward the door. Stepping with feathery lightness onto the icy surface of Neptune's moon, kilometers from the mining base, Dakota felt a shiver inside her spacesuit. Not from the cryogenic cold, which she couldn't feel at all, but from the personal momentousness of what she was about to see. For years she had been hoping to visit this place. Now that she was here, she didn't know what to expect or how to feel, or even, in any rational sense, why she was here. But now that the moment had arrived, she felt awed, uncertain, and a little afraid. Afraid? It's silly to feel afraid, she thought. You're just going to see an empty cavern that hundreds of other people have seen. What's there to be afraid of? And yet the butterflies in her stomach weren't going away. And she had this still expectant feeling that something special might be about to happen.
going to feel pretty silly when it turns out to be nothing much and you walk away with a few picks of a hole in the ground. As last out of the van, she had to sidestep around a few people to see anything. But there it was, the place where humanity, for the first and only time, had encountered an alien intelligence. That alone is worth some chills, isn't it? Can we do a quick comm check, please, before anyone moves away from the crawler? That was Scott trying to keep everyone, all six people, corralled next to the vehicle for a moment. Amy here. Joe. Misha. When everyone else had spoken, Dakota said her own name. So softly she doubted anyone could have heard it. So she repeated it. Satisfied, Scott waved them forward. Dakota's heart beat even faster as she stepped ahead of the others to cross the thirty meters to the edge of the cavern. Triton's surface was the color of dirty ice, with a bit of orange and brown seasoned into the mix. The sun, low in the sky, was little more than a bright star against blackness, while the blue crescent of Neptune hung like a shield behind her right shoulder. Daylight out here at the edge of the solar system looked more like dark twilight, but amplified by the circuitry in her suit visor, it allowed enough illumination for safe walking. As she approached the cavern opening, the underground lights flared into view, forcing the amp in her visor to dial back for comfort. Dakota paused a moment at the top of the long ramp down into the cavern. The bank of floodlights at the bottom shone on the spot where the translator had once stood. What I look forward to in the future, in the future, Jeffrey, is is to sit down across the table from you with a cup of coffee That's and nice. sit and, and and sit and talk. That sounds mm -hmm. terrific. Our guest tonight has been what has come to be over the Ethernet uh, a gentleman who I've come to consider. A great friend of the show uh, uh, and a wonderful gentleman who's a terrific writer, who's doing some terrific stuff, who's been a great risk taker of his own work and uh, is just doing a great job uh, of, of keeping his work alive and doing the kinds of things that need to be done. Uh, Jeff Carver, thank you for joining us. Looking forward to talking to you again real thank soon. Thank you very much. I would enjoy that greatly. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. 
You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime. Good night, everybody.